Thank you for listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit our website, centurybaptist.org, or download the Century Baptist Church app. I want to just uh, continue with the challenge for being a part of Operation Christmas Child. If you notice from that video, uh, it is so much more than a, a, a box full of, of toys, um, uh, some clothing that goes in there. The gospel is in there as well. Every child that receives that is invited to those discipleship classes to get to be a part of that. And so you are playing a huge role in the spiritual growth uh, from some kids being introduced to Jesus, but then also growing in him and then going out, as we saw in the video, of, of then going in and discipling themselves. And so uh, get involved in it as, as much as you can, and, uh, and it's a great thing to do with your family as well. Don't just uh, go off by yourself and fill a box and drop it in the mail, although that is great. Uh, but this is something as a family you can get together and you can pray over uh, who's going to receive it. You can track it where it uh, ends up in the world um, and uh, continue to pray for, for those that receive it. So what a great opportunity that we have. Before we jump into our text this morning, let me just make... Uh, a relatively short statement on the devastation that we're seeing taking place on the other side of the world. It's pretty consuming. You turn on the television, the nightly news, is uh, that's all that they are talking about uh, and what our response should be as uh, followers of Jesus, those that have God close to our hearts. Uh, God's called the people, uh, His people in Psalm 122.6 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, uh, may those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. If that makes you wonder, yes, the answer is we stand with Israel. Uh, there is no nation in the world that have, should have to endure terrorism, that should have to endure uh, the, the ugliness of evil that has taken place uh, over this last week that really... Uh, at the heart of it is uh, the task to eradicate a people, which is evil uh, at its core. And so we have to ask ourselves, so what, what role are we supposed to play? And we're watching right now. We're watching the entire world start to go toward the Middle East. You can read a whole lot in Scripture uh, over the centuries of many times when when people thought this this has got to be this has got to be the end, right? Uh, and then Jesus comes. I can tell you this: I don't know, but I can tell you we're closer today than we were yesterday. Our responsibility and our task as followers of Christ is to follow the words of Christ that I think He gives to us clearly in Luke twenty-one. In verse twenty-five, says there's going to be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity. People fainting with fear, foreboding of what is coming on the world. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, when, when we start to feel these birth pains of the nations rising up against each other. Uh, what's our responsibility? Jesus says, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. 
We will, we, will, we will pray for peace in the Middle East. I pray that it does not escalate to the point that everybody is predicting that it, that it, that it will. I, I pray that, that no more innocent lives will have to be taken. This ugliness of war. I heard someone say, Satan hates God so much, but he, he knows that he can't, he can't even scratch him. So what he has to do then is he has to go goes out he goes after God's people, um, and so we pray for the protection of God's people. At the same time, we pray for us, the church, God's people, to rise up. This is this is the time, opportunity, wherever you are, to talk about what is going on in the world and what it means. Our redemption is drawing near. Straighten up, raise your heads, Jesus says. In other words, don't mope around, don't fear, don't worry. Just know that this is an awful thing that is happening, but it just means that something great is on the horizon. So we trust Him. We trust His Word. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we do, we want to acknowledge, God, that, that we're here in the safety of, of our own land in the middle of America. We give you praise for the freedom that we have to say your name out loud, to worship you at the top of our lungs, to broadcast a message uh, for miles, God, uh, without fear. But God, we know that even if there were a threat, uh, that we are not to fear because the message is too important for this world. Father, we pray for uh, the Middle East right now. We pray for the nation of Israel, the only nation in the world that, that you have placed your name upon, that you have promised to watch over and to protect, that, that you would do great things, the place in which you will send your son to return. It's not ever going to fall. We ask that you would, God, that you would break the, break the hearts of those that would want to do harm. Father, they would see the error of their ways, the futility of it all, um, the sin, the hatred that exists. Father, I pray that, that in the middle of all of the mess, that your message would be proclaimed. Whether it's house to house, troop to troop, God, use your, your followers and your believers to show where we can find hope. Help us, Father, as we watch the news as we learn more and more about the situation, that we would be obedient to your Son, that we would raise our heads, that we would straighten up, and that we'd walk with confidence that you are a sovereign God that knows exactly what you're doing, when we, even when we don't understand it. It's all up to you. We'll do our part, Father. We pray for peace. We pray now, too, that you would just bless uh, this time as we open up your word. May your Holy Spirit reveal to us what it is that we are supposed to hear today. So may my words just be words that, that you have given and speak clearly to us today. In your name, amen. If you would uh, like to, Matthew chapter 19 is where we're at. This is actually going to be a bit of a two-parter. It's a pretty hefty text, this story of the rich young ruler and, it's, and the application that goes along with it. So, um, sorry, you have to come two weeks in a row. 
So uh, if you uh, have uh, one of our journals that we've given you, I always love it when the guys from the Rainbow Shop show up, another big box of those of the, of the Matthew journals. That means a lot of people are using them. If you've been with us, if you've been taking notes, so at the end of this whole thing, you'll have your own little commentary uh, on the book. You can turn to page 104 there, 824, if you want to use a pew Bible in front of you, because this is God's Word. It's living and active, and it's a beautiful thing. Let's stand as I read this text. And behold, a man came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, in other words, if you would want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Well, which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All of these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. That's God's word. You can have a seat. Jesus had continually been teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Remember, to keep reminding ourselves, because our mind oftentimes just goes to uh, the, the new heaven someday. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about he's talking about the kingdom of heaven on earth, following him, life abundant, life's different, the world's turned upside down, and he's talking about eternal life. The way that we gain eternal life is understanding that he's our king now, here on this earth, that he's given up his life for us, that we passionately follow him. It's a reception of him as our Lord and Savior that guarantees uh, the eternal kingdom of heaven but it's for jesus it's, it's entirety i want i want it now i want you now today and forever and so as he's going on and on and preaching about it and talking about it in relationships he keeps saying the kingdom of heaven and he just gotten done teaching on uh if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven you have to become like a child become humble the characteristics of a child that we looked at last week. And in the middle of it, I think Matthew does a great job of piecing it here, is that this guy who has everything, the rich young ruler, he's called. He owns everything. He doesn't need anything else. He's just fine. Here's that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a child. And so he comes to Jesus and says, I've done, I thought I, I, thought I did everything right. But I know something's missing. Something's not connecting. Mark 10 says that he came running to Jesus and fell on his knees. Put himself in this position of, you're the teacher, I'm the student, teach me. Because this is the one thing that I can't seem to get for myself is an answer of, of what this eternal life is. 
There's weakness in his question. The problem is, is that he's got such a low point of view. What's the one good deed? What is the one good thing? Because I feel like I've done everything, but there's got to be, what's the most important thing? The good deed that I can do so that I can get salvation. And Jesus, uh, actually in, the, in Luke, when this interaction takes place, Luke says that the man addressed Jesus as good teacher. Good teacher. What good deed must I do? And the way that Jesus responds is basically to help this young man understand that he doesn't know what good is. <clears throat> we can resonate a lot with him by the way that he asked the question. You know, Jesus, I, I mean, I think I've, I think I've got a pretty good life. I think I've done a lot of good things. So, so how do I get the good gift of eternal life? And, and Jesus would say, please don't put those two things together. Right? Your idea of the good life is not the definition of good. The word that is used is in the Greek is agathos. It means excellence in every respect. Perfection. Really, that, that's what this young man is saying. I think, I've lived, I think I've lived a pretty perfect life, but what's the, what's the most excellent thing that I could do to kind of solidify uh, that I'm in God's good graces? What is it that I need to, to do? What, what is it that God would agree with? What will get the most applause of heaven? I don't know if this is the case, but I wonder if maybe... Because of the way that he responds to Jesus and saying, look, I've obeyed all the commands. If, if he didn't come with an attitude of really what I'm just coming is to just kind of get your, your seal of approval. Because um, I don't know if you know me, but I've seemed to have it all. I don't really have any problems in life. I've done all of the good things that God wants me to do. So, so I'm kind of hoping in front of this crowd that you'll just say, Jesus, man, you're in. Like you've done it. I wonder if that's a little bit of his attitude that he's coming with. Or he knows that he has everything that he could possibly ask for, um, except for the one thing. That can't, this void that can't seem to be filled, as Ecclesiastes tells us, Solomon says that God has placed eternity in every man's heart. God's put a draw in us, a need for that we're not going to have fulfillment unless we find this one thing, and that one thing is, is God the Father Himself. How do I take hold of this one thing that I need so desperately? How do I know for sure that I am redeemed, I'm holy, I'm saved? Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There's not a righteous man on earth. Whoever does good and never sins. This, this young man had it all except a knowledge of the Scriptures or at least an application of them. I've done everything good. Like, well, Scripture actually says no one has. Nobody has done all sin. All are separated from God. Romans 3.10, Paul reminds us, no one is righteous. Not one. How often are, are we 
How often do we still fall into that mindset? Or maybe you've never even heard this before. But you cannot do enough good to gain yourself, put yourself into God's good graces. You cannot do enough good activity to where finally Jesus says, okay, you're in. Scripture says we can't because God is holy and He expects holiness. God is agathos. He is good. He is excellent in every way. And because He is, He cannot be in the presence of anything that is not. And we can't do it because none of us are good. And so what does He do? He, he comes Himself. Gives Himself. Jesus Christ Himself. Divine God gives up His life. Takes the punishment, the penalty, the weight of our sin upon Himself and opens the door that says, if anyone come and follow me, you could have eternal life. If you follow the King, if you receive Jesus as Lord by just saying, I repent of my sins and I grab a hold of you and I, wanna, I want this life with you, you can have my life. I'll leave the old life behind. Nothing that we can do because we're not good. This young man thinks he is. I'm good, right? Right, Jesus? Just tell me I'm good and we can go on our way. But he needs a higher frame of reference. Jesus even points him to that. Jesus responds by saying, in, in Mark, he says, why do you call me good? Or in this Matthew text, he's, why do you use that term good with your activity? Jesus isn't denying his, his divinity in this at all. He's trying to get to the heart of the matter and what's going on in this young man's mind. And so Jesus starts to push back. Why do you call me good? Because oftentimes, uh, if you found a really great rabbi, a really great teacher, they were considered good. Like you give me, you take me to the highest level of spirituality that I can get, but they never ascribe to them divinity. Jesus says, don't call me good. In other words, he's saying, I'm, I'm way more than good. But he said, I'm going to point you to the one that you you really have to deal with right now. There's only one who's perfect. If we all left the definition of good to ourselves, really, you could justify any action you do in your life. Why? Because that's well, good for me. Works for me. I don't care if it hurts somebody else, but this is good for me. Well, if it's not good for everybody, it's not good at all. And so it's got to have a measure of excellence. There's got to be a standard, and God is that standard. God doesn't just do good. God does good because He is good. He's the source of it. He's the definition of it. And we're called to live into it. He's the standard by which we're all measured, as Romans 3.23 says. And we all fall short. Everybody blows it. We need a Savior. Jesus points this young man to God as this definition. Put yourself up against God and see how good you really are. Well, I think, I, I think I'm pretty good. right? I've, I've done the commandments. Everything that I'm supposed to obey, I haven't broken any of them. And so that's what the young man asks. He says, we were talking about the commandments. Which commandments do I need to follow? What are the, what's the most important? What Jesus does is he lays out... Uh, the last half of the Ten Commandments. You could break them down into two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how Jesus always summarizes the, the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. 
Because the first four commands are about our relationship with God. And the last six are about our relationship with others. And we as followers of Christ are called to live into all of it. It's a package deal. It's not about obedience to the law. Again, we cannot, we can't obey. We're going to break it. The law was there to point us to, to Christ. Right? The Ten Commandments are there. That Not that we just follow this list of rules, but that we understand, I get it, God wants us to love Him unconditionally and others unconditionally. And that's what happens in our hearts when we let Christ take over. We go from selfish to selfless. We go from worshiping the things of this world to worshiping God. We go from fighting against people for what they have and what we want to giving away of ourselves to other people because of what Christ does. And so Jesus knows this. He's not, you have to understand, he's not saying, well, these are the commands that you have to live into and that'll get, you'll gain salvation. No, that's not what he's getting at. He's poking at what this, this young man's theology is. And Jesus knows the problem. It, and I'll tell you this, he knows the problem because he doesn't say it in here. It's, it's automatically assumed. So what does Jesus do? He says, well, the commands, okay, the important commands that you need to follow... And he goes through this list. He says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother, which is a little strange because Jesus takes it out of order. And oftentimes when rabbis did that, they, they, they take it out of order because the scripture would be memorized by these young Jewish boys. And so to take it out of order is a highlight. Okay, what am I supposed to know about this? The rabbi, ancient rabbis called it stringing pearls or you'd... You'd take, you'd put these things together or you'd remove something for somebody to go, well, but you missed that one. Exactly. So there's a couple ways of looking at this. One, why does Jesus take honor your father and mother and kind of take it out of order? Maybe because he's a rich young ruler. And maybe the way that he got wealthy is that he just took it all from mom and dad. Maybe he's just a spoiled rich kid. We don't know. But we can... We can recognize that there's something about this that Jesus is, is teaching. You have everything. Everything's been given to you. And notice this. If you're familiar with your Ten Commandments, do you notice that there's one that Jesus doesn't mention? Do not covet. He left that one out. I believe on purpose. Because that's the problem. You always want more. You, you think you've done everything, and you believe you have everything, and you don't think you need anything, or you don't think you need anything else, but you want it desperately, what the people around you have. What, you, what your mom and dad have given you isn't, isn't enough. What, what your work has given you is not enough. Now you're going after what everybody else has. How much is enough for you? That's the problem with this young man. He loves his, his more. He loves his stuff and the things of this world. So Jesus lists all the commands. He doesn't pick up on it. He says, well, I've, all those, I've done all those. I mean, I've never killed anybody. I've never committed adultery. I don't steal. And Jesus is really saying, yeah, but you... You love more. I think that's why he, he doesn't say covet. What does he say? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Do you really? Do you really love them because you want what it is that they have? You want to have more, right, than those next door. You're selfish. It's all about you. So Jesus teaches him a lesson. If you want eternal life, if you really want to be complete, if you want to be excellent, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. There needs to be this exchange of a love for more that's never going to satisfy, and everybody in this room can admit it. In exchange for a love for good, the most excellent God, because it's his love for, for more that is keeping him from the treasure of heaven. But what we have to notice, because I don't want us to be mistaken, our works do not, our works do not save us, okay? Just because he goes and sells everything that he has and gives it to the poor does not amount. Jesus goes, well, now you've, you've fulfilled the list and so you're in. But how does Jesus end it? He said, if you want the treasure of heaven, what you have to do, what you're going to have to do, is you've got to go and sell everything that you have. A- and then I want you to give it away to the poor. In other words, I want you to release everything. Why? Because Jesus follows it up with the most important thing. And then come and follow me. That's, that's the key. It, it's, you cannot follow me uh, 100%. Uh, a willingness to go wherever I lead you and, go and do whatever it is that I do. And a trust that I will provide for everything that you need if you are hanging on to all of this back here. A number of years ago, on my first trip to Israel, uh, we went with uh, uh, our, our friend John. He a, was an archaeologist there for a number of years. And uh, so there were just a few of us that were kind of hanging out. We're in this museum in uh, the ancient village of Qumran. That's where they found all of the Dead Sea Scrolls, up in all the caves. And so this museum's really interesting. We got to walk actually through a... a an, uh, they had a, 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 an uncovered um, home a place in which the scribes would have sat and written down some of those ancient scriptures. And John, in all of his relationships of being there for so many years, knew a lot of people. And he came up to us in the museum and he said, Hey, you guys, I got permission. You want to go to Cave One? That's the original cave where they found uh, the scrolls. And we were like, Yes, absolutely. We are in. Even for me, I was like, A hike? Yes. If, if it's going to lead to getting to see that, absolutely. And so uh, he said, okay, but here's the deal. If you want to go, you've got to take everything that you have, and it's got to go in the bus. You can't bring anything along because there are steep climbs, and it's a long walk, and, uh, and there are sharp rocks, so we had to wear leather gloves in order to get I mean, they, they protected these, these, uh, these scriptures so well and put them in this cave. But he said, and we're going to have to climb under stuff, and just nothing can hinder. If you want the adventure... You have to leave everything else behind. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you want life eternal, if you want life abundant, I'm life abundant. This stuff on this world means absolutely nothing. And not that it's wrong, right? As, as we always know, money is amoral, right? It's not right or wrong. It's how we view it. It's how we worship it. It's how we trust and we put our faith in it. And it becomes a higher God than God himself. So Jesus knows this guy's heart and he says, okay, I want you, there needs to be a change in you. And the way that you show that change, you have to be willing to let go. 
to leave everything behind. Sell it all. Give it to the poor, right? We're not going to pile it up so that you in the back of your mind go, well, if this, is, this Jesus thing doesn't work out, I'm going to run back to my, you know, tower of money. He says, for you, 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 need, you need to give it away. That's what you need to let go of because that's your God. And then you come and follow me. Salvation doesn't lie in keeping the rules. Jesus is reminding him that, that the commands, the rules, were to expose what was needed in order for this man to follow. Acts 4.12 says salvation is found in no one else. That means not in us. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. But Jesus said, back, even back just as early as chapter 16, if anybody wants to follow me, to come after me, he has to deny himself. Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow. It, listen, Jesus isn't giving this lesson uh, that, that we all need to be broke and poor and have nothing and only trust him. This, was, it's a, this is a great lesson for all of us, but this is for this young man. This is what's going on in your heart, and I know it. And I'll say that. He says that to us as well. Jesus would say, I know what's going on in your heart, I, so I need you to let go of, and you could probably fill in the blank right now, in order for you to fully follow me. If you want life and life abundant, and if you want to live out this life that you say is rescued and saved and redeemed and you live under the grace of God, then what is it today that you need to let go of? What's keeping you? You're like, I, I, I know Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but if you don't have joy and if you don't have peace, you got to really got to ask, what gives you joy and peace? Because if it's anything other than Jesus, you don't know him. We're not following him. So Jesus extends this challenge to him that would flip his world upside down. Philippians 4.19 says, Our God will supply all of our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have enough. This is not a passage about, I mean, it gets into where it talks about it's difficult for, for a rich man to get into heaven. It doesn't say it's impossible, right? Jesus doesn't, He's not angry that there are people who are wealthy, We'll talk about this more next week as we get into it, but if you live here in America, you're wealthy. That's plain and simple. So we all fall into that boat. It's difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? We see it in this young man. He walked away broken hearted. This, is, this has got to be one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture. That that this young man had his question answered and all he had to do was respond and just say, if that's what it takes, you're right, Jesus. My heart is not right. I love my stuff. I love the rush of getting more stuff, even though I know that it's not fulfilling. I know that there needs to be more. And Jesus says, well, then just get rid of it. Right? right? I mean, you would do that with anything else. You, many people have had, maybe yourself or relatives, maybe a child struggle with 
alcohol or drugs and you just go, look, you cannot follow Jesus and be addicted to these things that, that are your God that you keep pulling away from. And you're like, so what you need to do is what? You need to get rid of them. Just don't do it anymore. But the struggle is, is real. It's there. There's, it's got a hold on somebody. But our answer is always, you've you got to get rid of it. You've got to walk away from it. Get away from the trouble. But when it comes to this one, this tug at our hearts to have more so we can be secure, so the next generation can be secure. I don't want my kids that, or my great-grandkids should be financially secure. That's fine, but it's not good if it overpowers discipleship of your kids, of you setting an example for people. Our first love is Jesus. We love because He first loved us. Everything else that comes after that, it's just we get what we get to use, a blessing by God to care for others. But it is not our God. And so Jesus exposes this young man's heart, his condition. This young man came seeking the most valuable prize, salvation, the most valuable treasure. And Jesus says, if you want that treasure, if you want the treasure of heaven, Real life, you've got to get rid of the fake one. You've got to get rid of the lie of what you think is the good life. And he leaves. It's too difficult. It's too hard. It's too painful. Really, it's a lack of faith and trust. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to have faith in Jesus. This young man didn't believe that he could give him everything that he needed. First John 2, 15 says, Don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father cannot be in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And this world is passing away, along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever the will of god is that none should perish but that all would find salvation in jesus whether we have a lot or whether we have a little the love of more the need for more thinking that that's going to solve all of our problems will only lead us further and further away from christ what is it today that God might be just stirring in your heart so you know what, yeah, there's, there's just some stuff. There's some things. There's some people that I idolize, worship, think that I can't live without, and I, it's hindering me from the adventure of life with Jesus. The enemy wants to use the things of this world, the horizontal in this world, to make us believe that we can be and need to be self-sufficient. Jesus came to say that we're absolutely not self-sufficient. We need Him. If you want to have true treasure, treasure in heaven, <clears throat> you have to put your earthly material in the right place, the right perspective, not higher than God. It cannot be our first Love And it goes so much against what our deceiving hearts want. 
Because our world says to be great on this earth, you've got to have a lot. You want to have a voice in this world, you've got to have a lot. You've got to get more. You've got to push other people down in, in doing it. And it only will gain you earthly power, maybe some earthly comfort, maybe some earthly enjoyment. But Jesus says, if you, if you want the best, follow me. But you have to be willing to go without. See, that's the thing. Jesus isn't saying, he doesn't say, that anybody, with, anybody who has stuff, anybody who's got money, whatever, can never enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is, are you willing to go without anything? If everything in your life was stripped away, if you were like Job, and everything in your life was taken away, and it was just you, you know, in a sackcloth, sitting on a dung pile, right? And there you are. Could you still say, Jesus, I love you? That's the question. What's, what's holding you back? Are you willing to lose everything for him? Because I will promise you, when you are willing to, you'll get everything that he wants you to have to do what it is that he's called you to do. And in the light of eternal glory, when we do cross from this life into eternity, you won't care one bit about the stuff that you had unless your love of the stuff that you had send you straight to hell. Nobody can serve two masters, Jesus says in Matthew 6. You're going to love one, you're going to hate the other. What's your master today? I would pray and hope that we, none of us would leave here uh, like this rich young ruler, heavy-hearted because we don't want Jesus because we want something else. There is nothing better than Him. God, the most excellent, needed to do the most excellent work to save us. And so He sent us the best, Himself. Nothing is greater than earthly treasures. Fleeting treasure in heaven is a great reward. It's eternal life. In order to embrace it, we've got to let go of everything else. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. Uh, each and every week, God, that we come and we take a look at this, it draws us one step closer in our walk with you. It turns that dial one degree of glory to the next to becoming more and more like your son, May your Holy Spirit work in our life to be disciple makers by the example that we set, by the words that we set, by the relationships that we develop. And Father, by our love for you and not the things of this world. Amen.